the girls each got their own little one. All right, welcome everybody. We've got a lot of meetings tonight, so we need to keep on task. It is Monday, November 27th, 4 o'clock. This is the City Council Density Workshop. May I have the roll call, please? Yes, sir. Lance Smith. Here. Ken Burgess. Here. Mayor Monson. Here. Steve Spina. Here. Charles Proctor. Here. Jody Wilkerson. Matthew Maggart. Here. William Poe. Here. Todd Vanderberg. Here. Thank you. Okay, Todd, you going to lead us in on this? Yeah, let's get going. Uh, good evening, folks. Just a few brief comments as we get into our workshop this evening. I, I know we only have an hour, so we want to get to the PowerPoint presentation. So I just want to make sure we get through our PowerPoint presentation and provide sufficient time for the Planning Commission and Council uh, to both have opportunity to comment. And, so just a few overview points that I'll, I'll make to get us going tonight, and then I'm going to turn over to Tammy. First of all, you, you folks know both the Planning Commission and City Council that we're updating our comprehensive plan. We're creating a vision uh, through the year 2035, and a key element of that comp plan update is our housing element. We're looking at our vision of, of when, where, what, and how we're going to continue to grow in Zephyr Hills. So that's very important to us. And, and then not only that, but then where will, where will it be? Where will the new growth, where will the density be, and what will it look like? And that's when we can get into you know, high density and those types of topics that we know are important to the Planning Commission and Council. Affordability is another key topic that we're looking at. We're interested in providing a variety of diverse and alternative housing choices. So that's a, another key element we're looking at in our housing element. Then, of course, there's that Senate Bill 102 that's come along. So we'll talk briefly about that and how that plays into all this. So. Tonight, we just want to get started. I don't know if we'll finish the discussion tonight, but we want to begin the discussion with, with you folks in the Planning Commission and talk about where we're at in the comp plan update and get through the PowerPoint. But then more importantly, we want to hear what you all have to say. So with that, I'm going to be brief and turn over to Tammy. Thank, Thank you. Tammy. And I also need, I, I'm sorry I did not recognize, I appreciate the Planning Commission being here tonight. Thank you, everyone, for taking up your time and being here tonight. Thank you. Tammy? Are we good? Hello, everyone, um, esteemed members of the City Council and also of the Planning Commission. It's great to be with you all today. Uh, my name is Tammy Verona with Verona Consulting in Safety Harbor, Florida. And I have made notes for myself because I want to keep us like, on track. And I don't want to get verbose. So. And Tammy, uh, let me just interrupt a second. Uh, certainly. Our Councilman, Councilwoman Wilkinson has arrived, so thank you. Glad you're here. Sorry. At 4.03? Yeah, 4.03. All righty. Hey, how are you? No, um, so tonight we're here to address um, a pivotal aspect of your city's growth and development planning, the strategic location and design of thoughtfully uh, designed multifamily housing development. Is it going to work this way? We tried it earlier and it was working, was it not? I can. We got to keep it going. Okay. Thank you. Before we uh, get into this, we'll talk about what we're going to talk about in the workshop. We'll go to the next one. Oh, I think it's working now. So the workshop, workshop objectives are to understand the uh, issues and existing conditions, to explore and discuss ways to address the issues and the opportunities 
to discuss some strategy ideas and to set a course of action, including staff responsibilities and timeline. So in framing our discussion, we've crafted a discussion prompt which states, how can we innovatively address demand for diverse and attainable housing options that blend seamlessly with existing or envisioned community character and the community's goals for sustainability and resiliency. And just for some working definitions, attainable housing in this usage, it refers to housing that is accessible to a broader range of income levels, including middle income households and low income households. Sustainability is the practice of meeting current needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs and typically involves a balanced approach to economic, environmental, and social considerations. And then resiliency is centered around adaptability and the ability to recover in the face of challenges and disruptions. So before we go on, does any... Can you just pull this down just a little bit? Sure. Sure. They can't hear. I'm sorry. That's okay. I can do that. So before we go on, um, and I, we're going to pause along the way to, to get your feedback on things. So. How do we feel about this framing question for the remainder of the workshop? Does anybody have any thoughts on this? Does it seem comprehensive enough? Okay, we'll go ahead and Very. we can always double back. So the next slide talks about the uh, specific challenges and concerns regarding multifamily development, and this is gonna help us set the stage for developing effective strategies for addressing the issues. Okay, so pay close attention to this one. So these are what we came up with in staff after discussion, um, hearing what uh, has been said before from council and also hearkening back to some of our planning efforts and listening to the community. So issues surrounding multifamily development uh, stem from a mix of planning, uh, community input, and market dynamics. And so we generally understand these issues to be visual compatibility with surroundings, traffic congestion, public infrastructure and service strain, limited water supplies, and then green space loss. So for instance, areas for groundwater recharge or for habitat or for stormwater um, drainage. So looking at this, this list, do you think that we have the issues that we're missing anything from this list? Is there anything that shouldn't be on the list? Go ahead. I think you you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I think you have the issues. Bath Acre from the Planning Commission. Uh, as we continue to grow here, I don't see anything in there for schooling, okay. for education, or anything like that for the larger number of people that will be bringing families here with children. I don't see schooling on okay. there. schools. Noted. Schools. And we would put that under public infrastructure and services. Anything else does anyone have? Uh, yes. So um, one of the other things might be that we have a, um, when we talk about development pattern, is that understanding how and where we're going to classify something as urban or, or you know, as the location within the city as to where we desire the location for these higher density residences. Yes, that would go along with it. And we've shown sort of a simple cartoon graphic there that shows that urban um, 
the downtown in town area where you have free development objectives and then reaching out into the suburbs and then that suburban rural fringe um, and then out into the rural areas. So yes, we are looking at a pattern that would be um, context appropriate within these different That's ranges. Cool. And we're, we're gonna talk a lot more about that later. Okay, so moving on. So another issue is that Zephyr Hills is growing. The population as of April of this year was just over 19,000. And if we look at that, oh, I gotta do it a nice, here we go. If we look at that growth rate that's happened over the last, um, I guess it's a little less than three years, is at 3.99% on average per year. And granted, that has been a really active time. And so this estimate of what will happen in 2035 is more conservative, but that's good for planning. So if we apply that rate, um, we see that the projected population in 2035 is just a little over 31,300 or approximately 1,200 new residents in the city by that, between 2021, which is the census date, or excuse me, yeah, 2023 and 2035. And also another issue is that um, housing is, needs to be affordable for people to be able to have choices within the community. And it's a cornerstone of healthy, stable, and a prosperous community that you have housing choices for your residents. And to be house, for housing to be affordable, it should cost no more than 30% of a household's income. And it's important that safe and adequate housing is available for all income levels, um, or some residents may be displaced and will have to look outside the community for suitable housing. So this slide is showing cost-burdened households. So those households that would be spending more than 30% of their income on housing. And this information is from the American Community Survey, which is the US Census Bureau. Uh, it breaks the, the data down by 30% or more and then 35% or more. So if we just look at the 35% or more, more than one in three homeowners and almost half of renters in the city spend more than 35% uh, of their income on housing. And then if we include the households that spend between that 30 and 34%, on housing, roughly one in two homeowners and renters are at the top or exceed that affordability threshold. And households that are spending right at 30% um, are not necessarily cost burden by this definition, but it does mean that if there's anything that happens within their situation, they're much more vulnerable financially. And we also wanna bring up the objectives of the comprehensive plan. Uh, as we plan for growth in the community's long-range housing and community development needs, we also must strike a balance with many other things um, that uh, balance with the community's needs and also their aspirations for the future. So thinking about those, um, are these the issues that I just went over? <laughs> these issues, is there any questions regarding this? Any, any, um, Anything else we should be including as far as the issues? So we have the multifamily issues, the population is growing, and then the affordability aspects. I have a, a question. Um, how do we account, uh, in some of the, in the slide you had for the issues, how do we account for what's happening around us uh, in Pasco County, uh, including local roads and 
within the utility service area that we provide. So those kind of numbers aren't included in. There, it's right, and it really it doesn't really stop and start at city limits. You know, people like traffic generation. You can do a lot of things within your community to manage traffic, but you know, it's still flowing through you every day, and so. Um, those are things that you just need to make sure that when you're doing your design and also your, your uh, coordination with the MPO at the countywide level. And I know that Todd and his staff do a great job of keeping in touch with the planners in Pasco County. And in that joint planning area, which I'm gonna show you in just a second, that is really where you're coordinating um, what, the growth, what the growth is gonna look like in those areas, at least through the planning timeframe of 2035 that Todd had mentioned. Anything else? So one of the things when we start talking about affordable housing is public, public transportation. So if that's why where we locate these affordable housing elements are, have to be thought, thought out so that we're not placing uh, multifamily housing uh, developments in a place where uh, there's no, so under public infrastructure, I don't see transportation, public transportation, but I think that's probably part of it is ensuring that we're coordinating with um, the with uh, Pasco County transportation. And group. making sure that transit is part of the future growth of the community. I think that's important, so. And, and Tammy, you do bring, uh, Councilman Wilkson brings up a good point. You know, I think of the, the townhouse, uh, development that's going across from the police station is next to an elementary school and the high school, which is, in my opinion, a very good place to have multifamily. You could get away with one car possibly and having the kids walk or, uh, you, you know, and also I think about the, we took some heat for the apartment complex at Publix, but that does make some sense putting the multifamily near shopping. Hopefully some of those trips are not on our roads which we're, we know are over-congested now. So we think this out, we need to think think about that, you know. Yeah, the density another, is not a bad thing in the right place. That's very true. And also when we think about housing affordability, transportation and housing together are, make up a big chunk of a household's income. And if a family can get away with, and, and I have an old number for what it costs to own and operate a car over a year, it's, it used to be $9,000. I'm sure it's far exceeded that by now. But if you can think about what that $9,000 would do to get that family into a, maybe a house that's better suited for the size of their family or, or where they need to be as, as far as um, kids walking to school and walking to shopping and going to the parks. Planning Commission, anything you want to add at this point? There'll be plenty of time to talk more as we get into this. Okay, so now we're gonna look at some existing conditions and the first is we just want to like uh, make sure everybody is aware of what the planning area is. So we have the city uh, boundary, the incorporated area, and then also the joint planning area and the utility service area, which are the same in this map. And it's important to understand that property within the JPA and the USA may be annexed into the city over time, at which time it would be subject to the city's uh, policies and regulations. Okay, so what type of housing do you have in the community? So what we did was we took data from the Census Bureau up till 2021, which is the latest available. 
uh, based on a survey, a rolling survey. And then we also looked at a spreadsheet of what the city has approved but has yet to be Our built. Name. And I'm calling those pipelines. So we've got existing units and pipeline units. And you can see that from the graph, um, between single family detached at the bottom um, and also the two family, which is the, a townhouse product typically, um, that makes up the lion's share of the housing product within your community and will continue to be into the planning, into the, this planning period. Uh, you also have made uh, considerable increases in your units that are within um, structures that have 50 or more units. So you can see them up at the top. You can see mobile home is static. It's pretty much, there's no more uh, that's been approved recently. But pay attention to that middle range in there, that's three to four units all the way up to 20 to 49. And, um, and be thinking about what those types of units could mean as far as like increasing housing um, diversity and expanding housing opportunities within the community, particularly as it relates to not only the type, but the size of those units, the tenure of those units, so whether or not they're renter or owner occupied, and also the cost. So this is just information that I pulled from the Zillow Home Values Index, and it's for the month of October 2023. Of course, the chart is showing what's happened over time. So for a single-family home that you'd purchased, it's at about $300,000, and a condominium at about well, almost $150,000. For rent, uh, we have it broken down by single-family, townhouses, and apartments. This is also for October of 2023 with that average value of um, just, just under $2,000 um, a month. So this is a very busy slide, but I'm just gonna point to you what, how it works. So this is actually showing the income limits of a, and I've pointed out a four person household, you can see in the middle. Uh, and if you were considering that they were at um, 80 percent of the area median income which for Pasco County it's 89,400 if you look over to the right you'll can see under the number say three bedrooms that that household would need to have something that was eighteen hundred dollars or less to be affordable and we saw from that prior slide that a rental you could get into a, a rental for 1639 but probably not as easily within a townhouse or a single family house. But yet, that is the, the major type of housing that the city is offering. So we're gonna talk now about our four parcels, which is the multifamily residential zoning district. And where those parcels exist today, you can see with the developments that are outlined on this, there happens to be only one undeveloped parcel, which I need to look to see where that is, I gotta remember. North Avenue, no, is it? It's actually, um, it's on North Avenue east of Green Drive. I don't know if I have a little pointer here or not. I'm afraid to touch. But it's, um, it's a tiny little green dot that you can see just above Tyson Townhomes. Down, 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 right. Oh, above, oh, right there, see that? There you go. Yeah, sure. Just real quickly, um, what I wanted to point out, what you don't see here, obviously, is a lot of any undeveloped R4 zone property. We had one that's at the top 
Purvis property east. That's one of Warnocker's properties. He, and I just also wanted to add, not only do we not have any undeveloped R4 zone property left, however, that also plays into the conditional use process, which we have a slide coming up. And uh, so just wanted to make sure the Planning Commission and Council know, as we're having this discussion about multifamily, there's really no remaining undeveloped R4 property left. And to the conditional use, if we do get undeveloped property in that wants to develop R4, that project on the north end of town, as you know, that went through the process. They And the way staff and Billy address this now is we have them come in, do a pre-app meeting. We see what they're going to do. Staff looks at it. I get with Billy. Then we get with Planning Commission and Council before they even make their formal submittal. They came in with all four-story apartments there. Staff reviewed it. We didn't like it there. Um, Planning Commission looked at it. You guys looked at it. I met with you individually. There was concerns about it. We took those concerns back to the applicant. They're supposed to be now returning with a new application for all two-story townhomes. So we do have that process in place for conditional use. Before you go away, yeah. um, so if we go back to the joint pl planning area, how much of that property uh, uh, within that property is potentially R4? Yeah, that's a good question. As, as Tammy stated lately uh, on a later, earlier slide, um, when, where, how, what we're going to grow, that's part of the vision and exercise that we're going to continue to have uh, working sessions, community listening sessions on when, where, how we grow, what it is, what it looks like. That includes how dense it is, how tall it is, and even what it looks like. Uh, some of that, it, it, it varies, and it's in a state of flux, and some of that has to do with, one, how much water are we going to end up with? Two, we want to be very proactively and comprehensively do a fiscal impact analysis, especially for a residential development that takes so much uh, uh, resources by the city. And we'll have, I brought up before, we got two, two opportunities. One is to keep growing out or maybe second option is we reduce some of that strategically take in some areas but then put more of a primary focus on new development and redevelopment inside the the corporate limits and maybe reinvesting in existing neighborhoods to make them better and maybe even helps you with the affordability thank you awesome Burgess. um and i'm glad you brought that up because i think that's where we need to focus is that land out there that this you know we're talking about density and that's what we got to consider that joint planning area along with uh as tammy said earlier you know we've got the the development around us that's in the county too but i think we need to be thinking about that as we move forward about because as todd said there's no r4 parcels right now but there's going to be a bunch one so. last quick comment steve to your earlier question about not controlling or knowing what's happened in the county Pasco County is also updating their comprehensive plan. We've reached out to them, trying to get a meeting with them to have some of these same discussions we're having with them so they understand and we can kind of get their vision and, and work together. Is it Todd? Yes. Uh, Todd, what's the county's density per acre it, it compared to ours? It where you're at. Oh, so they're um, not a set? Yeah, you'd have to look at the future land use, which gives you the land use with the appropriate density and, and the zoning, of course. Right now we're allows. at 20 per acre. Yeah, our density at R4 is 20, 20 units per acre. County does have some that's even higher than that. Really? How, yeah. Do you know how much? I think they go up to 26. But in this area? 
not in this area and employment centers i think they allow oh. a variant of that employment center to be even higher density thank you todd Um, is there any, at what point do we reach that critical mass where we motivate um, the redevelopment within the city limits? So, for example, if we don't allow any more R4, the county is going to allow it right outside of our neighborhood. However, if they decide not to, then we have this opportunity that we can provide tax incentives or some other way to to in, encourage development where we already have some density or where it's appropriate to have affordable housing um, in older parts of the neighbor uh, in older parts of the city um, so where your infrastructure already exists mm -hmm. we're going to talk more about that in a second. <laughs> so uh, I'm also going to mention in addition to the r4 zoning that multifamily is also allowed by right in your reimagined Gall Boulevard uh, form based code area, which would be your infill and redevelopment area. And it's also allowed as a conditional use, if, if approved, in the office professional zoning district. So those are the two where two other places that you can do multifamily. Oh, okay, so the Live Local Act. Uh, so this was passed this year. And it, by the legislature, and it applies to rental unit, multifamily rental units only. It preempts local regulation on zoning, density, and height for certain multifamily or mixed-use affordable housing developments. Uh, developments must have a minimum of 40% of their units for households with incomes between 120% and um, up to 120% of your area median income, like that table we looked at before. And it can be located in any commercial, industrial, or mixed-use zoning district by right. The maximum units uh, that are applicable is uh, the highest that the city allows, which is the 20 units per acre that Todd just mentioned. And the allowable height for these is the maximum that's allowed by the city within one mile of that development site. Um, otherwise, the developments under this act would need to uh, be consistent with your local comprehensive plan and your land development regulations. And I have a little note up there that the city can apply multifamily housing standards to developments, and um, we'll talk more about those a little bit later. So in the last slide in this section of existing conditions is the R4 multifamily residential zoning district and what is allowed by right, and as we've said a couple times, it's up to 20 units per acre and a height of 30 feet, so approximately three these like three stories I'm guessing that's what um, I never compared those two easily in my head anyway uh, but there's also the conditional use process that this that the applicant can come to the city and ask for consideration for up to five stories in height um, but that's subject to conditions so if there's ways that you can mitigate any impacts on the surrounding area if there are any impacts on the surrounding area that would be at, at your discretion as a council to decide whether or not um, that's something that should be allowed. Any questions at this point? This is the area where we were talking about, do we want to maybe go back to 14, acre, uh, 14 units per acre, or do we want to leave it 20, but have it be a conditional use to get 20? Is that but right? I, well, but I think Billy. that the way, way it is now, Anything over two stories has to be a conditional use, correct? Correct. They're not going to be able to get 20 units per acre 
on two stories. Okay, so that's how it is. So it's two stories. So do we want to leave it where it's a conditional use or do we want to put it back to 14 units per acre? That's what we're asking council. As a staff, we think there's it allows the, the the way we have it currently of 20 units per acre, and I understand, you know, speaking to each of you individually, I understand the concerns. Um, but as a staff, we think the 20 units an acre and the conditional use allows some flexibility to address the issues that Tammy's talking about. Right place, um, you know, is it the right density? Is it not? Um, but this because council can say no to the to the increased height. Well, one factor I, that's come out too, and we had that slide up there. I didn't bring it up, but the Senate Bill 102, there there could be some concern with that by based on that new rule. Uh, city manager and I talked about it briefly this morning. But if you logically look at it, if multifamily can go on any commercially or light and li zoning properties. Uh, really, if you look at what we have left in the city for C2, they're smaller parcels, and usually a multifamily, they're going to usually want to get about 200 units is what we've traditionally seen and then you look at the li zone properties uh, uh, that that's a potential where it could be um, by what we're seeing and hearing on some potential projects coming through and one that's a definite now i think the likelihood even out there is is, is unlikely but still possible so we did want to include that out there for, for you guys I think one of the conversations I had with the city manager was when we were talking about this and maybe relying on the conditional use is if we have to have specific guidelines that allow us that explain why we're going to give somebody a conditional use in one area and not a conditional use in another. So if we say, okay, in the urban downtown area, we want to have a four story uh, apartment building um, so we can give them a conditional use. We may not want a four-story uh, apartment building where you just talk to people to get them to go down to three uh, stories or two. So how do we, you know, get around the fact that you're treating developers different? What do we have in writing that allows us to say, in this area it's right, in this area it's wrong? Well, a couple quick answers to that one is I think the process now that we employ by before they even do the pre-application with us we're having them submit for a for a multifamily apartment project where they're gonna know exactly where staff uh, you know council feels and, and I think our take has always been that I think like Councilman Smith said density in the right place is a good thing in, in the form-based code probably part of our CRA districts we, we'd like to actually increase the density because we have some examples where we haven't been able to build even a two or three story based on the size of the lot, but it'd be very appropriate. So um, yeah, as part of this process of going through the comp plan update, the housing element, we're addressing all these issues and then holistically we'll come back with uh, code recommended changes in the land development code. Um, what was your second question? Well, we have two developers come in at the same time. They both want to okay. build apartment buildings. Yes. Um, how do we, what do we have in writing in our code that yes. says you're not 
treating this. You know, the one department, one developer is going to come in and say, "You're treating me different. I'm only allowed yeah. to build two stories. You're letting this guy build four stories." Well, so every conditional. Sorry, yeah, every conditional use is reviewed independently upon itself and the characteristics of that particular site. And in the conditional use criteria, there, there's language in there about compatibility. So the compatibility, and that was one of the things we talked about in the north end of town. They wanted four-story apartments, yet there's no four-story anything out in that entire area. So, and then holistically, we, we have what we can fall back on city services as well. Um, and that's where water traffic. So again, I think it's being selective on where that future density goes, where it makes good sense, and probably in the inner area, prob probably yes, probably out in the hinterland, probably no. But again, I'm saying that without completing the comp plan update and doing those listening sessions, and we want to uh, figure out when, when, where, how, what to grow, and then continue those discussions with the county. It's my concern is that Hinterland's not that far away. Right. Although, oh, go ahead. Uh, and I wanted to agree with you on that, uh, Councilman Spina, because, uh, um, and as you know, I've been kind of pushing, you know, it was a f five years ago or so when it was brought to us to increase the density levels. I mean, we had we had the 14 for years and years. I don't know how many years, for a long time, I suppose. So, and the reason we're talking about density right now is because of the stress on our infrastructure on our um, services and all those types of things. So I'm more of the belief of, you know, roll it back to 14. And you talk about conditional uses, which we still have that. But I have the same concern as you is like, okay, so what are we going to do? How are we going to specifically say what, what is what? I think it's just better to be on the, um, on the other end of that because what's going to happen is as that land around us starts to develop, we're going to be right back where we were right here again, looking at density, looking at water, looking at traffic, all that kind of stuff if we don't take care of it right now. Um, density in, uh, you know, higher density in certain areas does make sense, yes. And, and I think we need to look at that and figure out a way to where we can do that. But, you know, we've already opened the, the, the Pandora's box on that stuff because we've got the four stories scattered around. And just like you said, that there's no hint, there is no hinterland. Let's put it that way. It's going to be the same thing. So. I'm still, and I've been, you know, kind of pounding this drum for about four years now. I would like to see us roll our density back to 14. We still have the conditional use unit. We also allow the developers to go with the gross land area and use their calculations instead of the net land, which means that where there's going to be parking lots and retention area and stuff, that's still included in where they can increase their density to some, to some extent. Um, so that, that's just kind of where I'm at on it, and I agree with a lot of what you said. Good evening, Gail Hamilton, CRA Director. When we talk about density for the CRA and the urban core, there is not large tracts of land at all. Everything is going to be redevelopment in the CRA. For the developer to make money, to look at the property within the CRA, density is what's going to do it. 14 units an acre won't do it. Um, they'll go to the county, they'll go somewhere else. I'm trying to entice uh, developers to the CRA and the downtown for, if we want the retail businesses, if we want restaurants, if we want to be able to walk to their neighborhood park, 
then we've got to have higher density than what we have in the CRA right now. So um, we are working on the CRA master plan and working with Todd in the planning department. It's all, we're already looking at the assessment in the CRA and the first thing that the planners came back with was we need to look at your density. And instead of doing a project that's completely affordable, that we look at apartments or multifamily and we create a percentage, that a percentage of every one of these developments have to have affordability, so that you have a mix of income in the, in the developments as you look at density. So for the CRA, and I agree whoever said right place, right area for density, absolutely. But downtown in the CRA dis uh, district is one of those places. Before you go, Gail. Yes, sir. Won't in the CRA, because of the lot sizes that are available, won't the restrictions of what you have to put in place control the density? You're not going to be able to build a four-story apartment building when you don't have parking or you don't have the retention and you don't have the green space and all that. So that's all going to be determined by the size of the unless I guess you're planning to combine a bunch that of That is lots. correct. The, yeah. Looking at combined lots, doing first floor garages so that parking is part of the building, uh, so you're not having flat area parking lots um, that's just being used for parking. Those are the things that we are looking at. And incentives. We have a lot of um, parking lots that are not being used in the CRA that we would like to look for multifamily. So yes, there is part of that, but trying to create um, and, and gathering lots, the CRA is purchasing lots right now. So yeah, there's a little bit of everything to it. Councilman Burgess. And uh, I think the key word there is redevelopment. And I think going back to what you said, maybe that's our definitive line of where we're going to allow conditional uses in redevelopment like to see you know whether it's the CRA district or the Gall Boulevard or just Fifth Avenue whatever we choose but I think that's the key thing is redevelopment I think my main concern with the higher density especially especially in the city limits um, number one is of course water that we've been dealing with and we're making I believe progress Two is the traffic. I mean, traffic, traffic, traffic. That's all I hear from my people is we need to do something about the traffic. And I believe we're trying to do the best we can. And then, of course, the, the load on our schools. We have several schools in the city limits. And I believe a lot of them are at capacity or over. So the, now that if we're, gonna allow, if we're gonna allow a higher density, we'll have, the school board, they're gonna have to do something about building more schools or larger schools or adding I mean all of that and that's why I am kind of going down the road of possibly a lower a lower uh, density number even back to where we were possibly but I mean that's just me Councilman Councilwoman Wilkerson sorry so I think what you mentioned the part about the schools you know some of the challenges that we've always had with that is that it's not build it and they will come. It's they will have to be there and then they build it. So education is probably the last thing occasionally that happens when you do when you allow that sort of 
improvement. The other thing is that I can see, you know, those numbers, th that middle housing segment, the, the two or three or four or five units, um, you know, those quadruplexes and things like that, that's, that's the kind of thing, even if they're three stories with, with parking underneath, that's the sort of thing that I could see happening on the one-way pairs or, you know, so that, so that we reserve 301, for example, for commercial and higher density, um, you know, office professional development, for example. So, I mean, if, if that's the next step is to allow higher density in the CRA, maybe it happens in those areas and we focus on incentives for those that meet that criteria that we really desperately need, that missing middle. And, and I, don't, I, don't have a, I don't really have a preference as it relates to the, um, to the density. I think that I can trust the ability of our staff to, to evaluate these, but I think that we should just say that no conditional use is gonna be considered unless it's in, you know, unless it's in these areas that we've designated as being um, needy for, 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 those, um, middle, for that middle segment. That makes it more cut and dry, I think, is what your point was. Uh, and, and I will say this, if some, there's gonna come a time when we're gonna need some affordable housing for seniors. And there's gonna be a time when somebody's gonna come and want a high density, just say up near the hospital, or maybe it's a graduated care type uh, community. They're not gonna do it at 14 an acre. I mean, I, I just know that. So, you know, I think the right, the right density in the right place should be permissible. And especially if it's an area of need, because, because you showed us it's two, two grand, or what was it, 1600 for an apartment, two grand for a house. <clears throat> There's a lot of seniors who are getting priced out of here, you know. So, you know, if it's the right, right project, I think we need to have the opportunity to do it, you know. Looking at each, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, well, I was just going to say we need to look at that because technically we're the affordable part of the Bay Area. I mean, or we're county. a lot more affordable yeah. than everybody else in Hillsborough County or Pinellas oh, yeah. County. So if we're becoming unaffordable, they're moving up to Citrus County or to Sumter County. And, and it's a shame because people that have lived their, their whole lives and raised families here are having to be displaced. So, I mean... I, and I don't know if there's much we can do as a municipality to help that, but I guess we need to keep our eyes open for opportunities to do that. Mayor. And, and that brings up a great point because when I look at these graphs and I look at what you say the average income is and I, I look at the amount of rent, most of our citizens, our renters that have lived here their whole life, they can't, they can't afford that anymore. They can't afford sixteen to $2,000 a month. They don't make that amount of money. So, um, you know, I know it's, it's difficult and it's, I don't know where they're going to go, but I, it makes me sad sure. to think that our residents are being pushed right out of our own community. And the other question I have is on in your code, isn't isn't there? I'm sorry, that sun's like right yeah, in my sorry. eye. Um, can it be written to where 
in the infill in this area, this is the density, and then as it moves out. Is that not allowed, or is it a just, I'm asking that, or is it just a standard, this is the density? No, you, there's other ways to nuance that. Because that would address both what Gail's talking about that she needs in the CRA, and then as you're moving out. But I was adamant when I met with Todd that we are not putting four stories on the top of our hill out here on the outskirts. I mean, this is all we hear day after day after day is traffic. That's all we hear is that we can't get through our town and people can't get into our town. So we need to be, and I appreciate that we're having this conversation, but we need, we need to be on it for sure. <laughs> I think like, uh, I think I think it was you, Councilman Council President Smith, that said it depends on where where they're talking about putting. What it is and where. And another for me on the on the higher density, if it's in the right place, that would be okay. But what really I, I can, am concerned about is it's a major strain on our city services. It's a major strain on our police department because now they're going to be covering a lot more. And I I don't know the stats on that, but I don't know if if in the larger developments, the four stories and such, if they have more police calls there, or do they have more? So, I mean, it's a tough, it's tough to play both sides here. And you know, maybe, maybe you're right to quantify it. How many developable parcels are we talking about? You know, if it's a handful, then it's a moot point in some ways, you know. Um, and really, in my mind, it's like, we have a core, but we're kind of the core for this whole area. Right. We're the core for Pasco County in this area. You know, more and more that we develop, I mean, we've stretched it out and we're not tiny anymore like we used to be. So it's a, but, but that being said, it's still got to be the right spot for it in my mind. So are we good to go forward? We'll talk about some ideas. Okay, so what I've tried to do in this uh, is to point to key issues and then link those with some strategy ideas. So relative to the compatible multifamily location and design, we know that character differs by the locations, different locations in the city. And the availability of public services and infrastructure also differs by location. For example, not all areas are served by central water and sewer. So the extension of public services and infrastructure is a key growth management tool um, for the appropriate timing and sequencing of growth. So it's a tool in your toolbox. So this shows the urban to rural tra transect, which is a way of sort of organizing these different character areas within the city. It's very simplified, but there's the seven districts going from the rural preserve, which I put the green swamp in there because it's, it's not going to develop. All to uh, what's called like a T7, which is a special district that's, um, you know, where you kind of conform whatever you're doing to that particular context. But these, between T2, the rural preserve, all the way to the T6 urban core, represent different types of in your community. So for the rural reserve, we put the joint planning in there as a, uh, as a example. Uh, for the T3 suburban, Silver Oaks would be a typical suburban type of development pattern. For T4, the general urban, 
That would be Gall Boulevard right around 12th Avenue, so where it starts to kind of taper down from where it's, mo it's highest at the T5 area on, uh, at Gull Boulevard and Fifth Avenue. And T6 urban density that that's high within this area, that might be more like a downtown Tampa. So you wouldn't have necessarily have a, a character district there. Um, but what you mentioned before about the hospital, you know, maybe there are special circumstances around the airport industrial corridor, the hospital that you treat it in a special way. So a strategy is to establish context-based place types. And this is, um, let me get my right page here. Um, so this will be based on that urban to rural transect. So that's will be the organizing theme. And the objective is to create an integrated, livable and sustainable places according to their distinct location in the city. And a place type is a tool that focuses on the character and also the function of places, and they work with the future land use map. So whereas you have a future land use map that says if you are um, you know, a commercial um, mixed use or commercial designation, that commercial, no matter where it is in the city, is entitled to that, those entitlements under that. Now it's ratcheted up and down based on the types of zoning that's in that area, but it's pretty much blanket across the city. So a place type would work with the future land use map. So if you had a residential um, medium density and then you had the, um, the place type, it would say, well, this area has this character and in the future, their aspiration is to look this way. So there'd be, as you can see in this illustration from another community where this little um, sheets that are, that are applicable to each place type. Um, the steps involved in creating place types would be during your comprehensive plan update, which includes community visioning, where we would ask the public, the community, uh, where should we grow and how should we grow? And then creating the place types would um, look at things such as land use, community character, how people are going to move around in that space, build space, etc. So Tammy, the place type is just a specified boundary area, is that right? Yeah, so it's almost like it's a it's a, a, like a layered land use category. So they it says complete neighborhood and rural air plus rural area. So obviously this is on an edge. This is a place where there's some neighborhoods, but it's buttoned up against a rural area. So you decide if um, you know what's available in terms of making it a complete neighborhood. Are there parks? Um, is there a, a school nearby? Are there, is there shopping? So you decide what sort of things are appropriate in terms of public facilities and services for that area. You know, if you go further out, you can't provide all the same level of amenities that you do in your downtown area everywhere because that's just the recipe for not having money in the future. So what you need to do is to really be focused and prioritize where you're going to spend your, your tax dollars on those things and, and make sure that they match up with where you're focusing your growth as opposed to where you're keeping things a little bit more um, in a rural state or um, it, for environmental lands and things like that. So the next strategy is to actually look at some design standards for multifamily development. And you have, you have multifamily standards for townhouses today, but you could have those across the board. And those standards could be, and you can see, particularly see in the chart, but I think there's place types over to the left, 
So the community activity center is the place type. And then they look at the, what are the characteristics, what are the building types that go within that area, what are the set, setbacks. You know, it's not too terribly different than the form-based code in a way where you're, you're really getting very specific about what you want within those specific place types. And land development and express things such as, so in one place, maybe you allow up to, say you have 20 units per acre uh, in your future land use category, but maybe in this area, you're only going to 14. So, standards, how the facades are treated. So if you're looking more urban or you're looking more rural, where the buildings are placed in relationship to the street, how they're landscaped, do they look rural, do they look urban? Um, the public realm is important, especially with multifamily. You know, you wanna have environments where people wanna leave their apartment and walk somewhere, not necessarily get in their car for every single trip. And that relates to your traffic situation and then the vehicular access is another aspect. So I think this is the uh, maybe the last strategy, but this is a little bit innovative here. So we talked a long time about doing conservation subdivisions and areas where green space preservation is uh, of value to the community. And it was always sort of difficult to, to think about why a developer would want to do this if you're not getting any more density out of it. You're just clustered in one part of the site so that you could wrap that density into a more rural feel, which could be greenways, could but essentially what you are is you're making that area that better within its rural context. But if we were to combine this concept with a transfer development rights and as mentioned that there is a need for some more density within the areas that you have, so perhaps there could be a way to for the property owner to be able to sell the entitlements that would be in that space area and transfer those into your urban area, your infill, downtown infill, to both conservation and development where you want it. So I know that the city of Newport Ritchie is doing something similar that was related to their coastal high hazard area and they were just shifting things around in the coastal high hazard area but they decided, well, what we should be doing is we should be directing that growth out of the coastal high hazard area instead of just moving it around and put it into our downtown, so or wherever is appropriate for um, those entitlements to be sent. So that might be a, a level of incentive. The next issue is the housing choices and affordability, and these are just some missing middle type uh, uh, and also a, a larger scale residential, multifamily residential within your community today. So this next, um, as I mentioned, the missing middle housing, let me get to my page here. So it's, it's intended to create greater housing choices and opportunities for both your current and your new residents, um, and it's accommodating them in context appropriate ways. So these are housing scale buildings in a lot of cases, when you see these within other communities, they sometimes look like a big house with just a lot of doors. Um, but they mentioned, I think, Jody, you mentioned the um, uh, quadruplexes and uh, different types of uses that you typically would see in some of your older, and maybe you even have some here that were from the, maybe prior to 1950. The city of Clearwater has a lot of them that we never really even paid attention to, little apartments, but they really do provide a lot of variety for 
just how people want to live. Not everybody wants a single family house with a yard and not everybody wants to be in a 50 unit or more apartment complex. So it is really creating choice for the consumer. So the missing middle housing is likely to be more affordable than those single family detached products because they require less units per <coughs> for the land area. So there's a big cost savings there. Amy, that, that is what I'd like to see in some of this infill where we can get some of these people can come back to afford to live here if they are in the downtown area where they don't have to have two cars they can have five or six or ten <coughs> units per their little square so yeah, not everybody needs a 1600 or 2600 square foot house sometimes they just need 500 square feet or whatever it is that they need to that they can afford and, and have some disposable income to be able to spend within the community so these are just some examples you know bungalow court duplex um, townhouses that are missing considered missing middle housing so the next one is a big one it's a little harder to solve when you don't have really robust transit within an area um, but we, we can we try we continue on so the issues um, related to this um, is that people tend to be, have to rely on their personal vehicle to go everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's across the entire Tampa Bay area. But there's some places that, that get it right, um, but there's, they tend to be small. And I, I would suspect that your downtown is a place where people don't always have to take the car out, right? They can leave it in on the weekends, walk downtown, get some food, um, maybe buy some food somewhere. But if your multifamily is strategically located, it's close to where people go to work, so your employment centers. It's close to community amenities like parks and schools and transit service. That can reduce the vehicle miles of households. And really, that's how it all adds up. How, what's the vehicle miles traveled by your households? Is it a lot or is it a little? But when you start to ratchet that down, it makes differences across your entire system. And having pedestrian and bike-friendly design and infrastructure, so designed buildings and also the infrastructure that supports walking and biking are major determinants of how people travel. So if you build it, they will come, and that's been proved over and over again. I mean, it, we have some, we're bumping up against our hard time oh. on this. I'm, oh, I'm right. sorry. Okay. Um, but I, it's apparent we're going to have to schedule another workshop to, to finish this up. Um, so, uh, and, and Help me remember, we have four different meetings tonight, so <laughs> our next one is the CRA or no? No, our next one is the attorney-client oh, session. Attorney-client session. So, okay, but, I appreciate but, the time um, we've had. So. We, what we'll do is let's try and figure a time to have this again. Planning Commission, thank you so much for coming. Um, and we'll have Tammy back again to finish up because this is not a one-session oh, topic by any means. So um, I'm going to go ahead and adjourn this workshop and then... How are we handling the? Are we going upstairs? So we'll open. We'll open the meeting here. Okay. And then I'll ask that we go to the second floor conference room. Okay. And just to explain what it is, it's it's a shade meeting, which is allowed one of the few times when we have litigation that we need to discuss. Uh, we're being either we're being sued by somebody normally, so that's what it is. Um, but if what it will do, I'm going to adjourn the workshop and. I will